going to pause for just a moment and remind you of kind of where we've been. We've been talking about grandchildren are special, but grandparents are special too. And so I just wanted to remind you of just how special you are as grandparents in the lives of your grandchildren. You have a special role. We talked about that, and that's what we've been trying to expand on. Uh, Grandparents are special in that they give their time. Sometimes you have to stand in the gap. Your children are just way too busy, and so you give your grandchildren individual relationship time. You're involved in the lives of your grandchildren. And watch this. If you're involved in the life of your grandchildren, then that makes you special guardians because you have an awareness. Sometimes you may see some things that your children do not see in the lives of your grandchildren. You have a special awareness or point of view. And so one of your special roles is that of a guardian. You're a watchdog, so to speak, in the life of your grandchildren. We said that grandparents are special because you give a special love. See, See, uh, parents are not supposed to give their children the big head, but as grandparents, we can do that. We can give our grandchildren the big head. We can just make them feel special. We have a special love to give. And you are a consistent and constant message of I love you, and you are special, and you are capable. Those are messages that you speak into the heart in mind of your grandchildren. You have a special love to give. We also said that grandparents are special. They are positive role models. We looked at that last week, didn't we? There are all kinds of influences out there in the life of your grandchildren these days. It is indeed spiritual warfare. But you are special role models in their lives. And you take the fruits of the Spirit and you polish it. You show them how to refine it, and uh, you speak words of faith into their hearts and minds. You're special uh, role models in the lives of your grandchildren. Then we said grandparents are special. They know how to have fun. See, one of your tasks is to have fun. We said that uh, parenting is teaching your children to find pleasure in the right things. I think that's in the scope of righteousness. God's for fun. He's just for fun in the right ways. Well, guess who shows them how to have fun in the right ways? Grandparents, right? I think so. You know how to have fun. And then uh, the last one we talked about last week, grandparents are special. They know how to work. (laughs) I trust that you do. And I think I told you that, in my mind, the number one missing link in parenting today, or at least it's right up there at the top, is work. And we talked a little bit about the psychological benefits of work. You know it. Many of you were raised that way, right? Where you started early in the morning and you had a contribution to make to family life. Very family survival depended upon your, you were needed. Right? And there are so many psychological benefits to work. And as grandparents, you teach your grandchildren how to work. And I encouraged you, even challenged you, 
Don't write the check to someone else to do the work around your house if you have a grandchild who's able. Oh, it'd be so important for him to learn the benefits of work. And that's godliness, right? I think so. I mean, when God put man in the garden, he told him to do what? To work it, to tend to it. And it's, yes, one of the special things that you do with your grandchildren. We said you're recreational companions and you are work companions with them. Uh, Just to say a little more on that, I really do believe we live in a consumer culture, a consumer culture of childhood, where children these days perhaps are raised much more to be consumers than contributors. And uh, something gets lost in that that equation. And so uh, your working with your grandchildren uh, is important for teaching them how to be contributors, not just consumers in this world, right? Now let me see if I can illustrate to you just how important the things we are talking about could be. A formula for a troubled, difficult, or otherwise rebellious teen. At one time, I worked in adolescent drug rehab. I had to be careful with that. Sometimes I say, sometimes I refer to when I was in adolescent drug rehab. And I'm like, no, I worked in adolescent drug rehab. God has a sense of humor. When I graduated with a master's in marriage and family therapy, I said there are two populations I don't want to work with. One was addictions. I'd rather not work with addictions. I grew up with that in my family. I had enough of that for a lifetime. I don't want to work with addictions. And then I said, well, I don't think I want to work with adolescents in therapy. And uh, that may sound a little odd considering my present role, but I'm like, hey, they're a pretty tough crowd, you know? You put them in a therapy session, and if they don't want to work today, nothing's happening. It's called the principle of least interest. The person with the least interest has the most power. And so if the teenager, you know, isn't interested in working today, nothing's going to happen in in session, right? It's going to shut things down. So I said, well, I don't want to work with addictions, and I don't want to work with teenagers. And so I moved to Tallahassee, Florida to do graduate work, additional graduate work at Florida State, and I needed a little job to help make ends meet. And the only job I could find was Turnabout Inc., $7.50 an hour, working with teenagers in rehab. And it was like God just had a sense of humor, right? And I spent about 14 months there working with these adolescents who had all kinds of problems. And, um, and you know what? I hope I helped a few of them, but guess what? God used it to change me. He really did. And, um, and they touched my heart. And now I'm like, hey, I'm glad to get down in the trenches with some struggling teenagers and try to be of help. But while I was there, I maybe said too much about that, but while I was there, I kind of developed this formula for a troubled, difficult, or otherwise rebellious teen. It's like, okay, if you want to raise a a troubled teenager, what would be the formula for that? And I'm going to suggest three things to you. Oh, wow, I I can't, I'm colorblind. You can't hardly see that. An un- or under-involved parents. 
un or under-involved parents. This is a recipe for di troubled, difficult teen. Negative peer pressure and boredom. Now that's not in scientific language or academic language, but it, it makes sense to me. You take an un or under-involved parent, throw in some negative peer pressure and some bore, mix in a little boredom, and you're going to have a troubled teenager on your hands, right? I think so. Now let me be careful here. That doesn't mean if you have a troubled teen that all these things were true. But I'm just saying that if these things are true, uh, there's some real likelihood you'll have a troubled teen on your hands. An un- or under-involved parent, negative peer pressure, and boredom. Now, look at what we have been talking about for several weeks. Individual relationship time and emotional bonding experiences. That's how we mitigate. That's how we resist falling into being un- or under-involved parents, right? One-on-one -on -one relationship time. So we're talking grandparents here as well. Emotional bonding experiences with our grandchildren. If we're going to influence their lives, if we're going to influence them to be people of faith, we said what? We, we have to do this first, don't we? Right? We have to do this first. Well, that's what that's all about. Negative peer pressure. Well, we talked about being positive role models, right? There's going to be negative peer pressure out there in the lives of your grandchildren. You're in the role of being one of those positive role models, being a different kind of an example in their lives. It's really important then. And then watch this. Boredom, recreational companions, and work companions. See, if you live around my house, I can almost assure you, you will not be bored. And we're either going to have some fun or be sweating, one or the other, but you won't get, be sitting around getting bored. And so what do kids do when they get bored? They get mischievous. They do all sorts of things to fill their time. And uh, so I kind of I jokingly say when my son was in college and he would bring a, room, a roommate over or a friend over, they were fair game. If you're around my house, then if I'm over here and I need another set of hands, What's your name? John. John, come over here. Help me hang this fan. Right? We're going to work together. We're going to play together. But you won't be bored. You won't have to get into mischief because there's going to be something to do around here. Does that make sense? So what I'm saying to you is the things that we've been talking about, calling ourselves to as grandparents, it, they're vital because you have an incredible influence in their lives. You offset so many worldly influences in their lives. Well, that kind of brings us to where we want to be today. Well, we worked pretty hard last week. We sprinted to the finish line, right? And I didn't get to hear from you very much. And so a few people talked to me afterwards and so I thought we would take a few moments here at the beginning of our class and maybe hear a little bit from some of you. And Larry is going, Bills is going to show us how to do that. Can you come up here? Come up here. He, he got with me afterwards and he had such a story to tell. Isn't it true that a picture is worth a thousand words? 
So it's like, Steve, be quiet and let Larry talk, all right? <laughs> well, you'll recall that uh, last week, and he's already mentioned it a little bit, that Steve, early in the session, talked about uh, time. And when he did, I began to chuckle to myself because it reminded me of something that had happened two days earlier. Toward the end, he talked about fun, and that brought me to tears. And you'll know why in just a moment. But on Friday morning, let me give you, got to set the stage just a little bit. Sarah and I have four grandchildren, and to all four of them, they're all now driving age, and so to all four of them at one time or another, Papa has been the automotive consultant because uh, the dads involved were either not involved uh, in one case, but in the other three cases, uh, a very loving dad is a very mechanical nothing. <laughs> he just he just he just doesn't know which end of the wrench fits the nut, that kind of thing. But anyway, uh, it has not been unusual at all for me to get calls from any of the four grandchildren about cars. So uh, on that Friday morning at eight eleven, the phone rang and it was my twenty five uh, twenty four year old grandson Evan, who is a doctoral student in statistics at Baylor University in Waco, Texas. He's been married about a year and a half, and this is a side note. He's married to a very sweet young lady named Madison. While they were engaged, we discovered that Madison had no living grandparents. And so we said, okay, you're our granddaughter too. And so we are now Papa and Mimi to Madison, very sweet young lady. Well, the shorter version of the story, and I'll, I'll not bore you to tears with all the tiny details, but, Papa, my car won't start. Evan's car is a 2000 Ford Explorer Sport. And it's a kind of a hand-me-down. We won't get into all of that. But what was happening was that Madison was about 30 minutes from taking off to go to Arkansas to visit a friend. And it meant that if Evan couldn't get his Ford Explorer started, he was going to be with the weekend without transportation to get around. So, okay. Well, what transpired over the next approximately four and a half hours was uh, 10 phone calls, 12 texts, including eight pictures of a badly maintained battery, uh, two FaceTimes, and so forth. Early in the process, I said, do you have, in case it's needed, do you have roadside assistance with any of your insurance programs? Well, he didn't know for sure, so fortunately he was able to ask Madison who had a positive answer before she left on her trip to Arkansas. Well, I won't bore you with too much more except to say that with all the pictures and the FaceTimes and so forth, uh, I talked him through as much as I possibly could, uh, and nothing was working and my analysis was, you may have a good battery, but you've got very bad connections. Well, one of the FaceTimes showed the positive battery terminal disintegrating in his hand. So I said, it's time to call for roadside assistance, which he did. Uh, roadside assistance came. They were able to get him started and recommended. By the way, they had not been there and formed any relationship with a repair shop. So the roadside assistance gentleman uh, referred him to a repair shop down the road, jump-started him, got him on his way, 
And I didn't hear anything for a little while. And by the way, I wasn't on the phone all that whole four and a half hours, but I made sure I was available by phone during that time. So anyway, let's see if I can get my phone back up just a minute here. Uh, the last four messages, hang on to that just a moment. Mm -hmm. we got to have those last our, four our messages. Yes. My show has disappeared here. That's all right. Get it back. Yeah, okay. here we go. Here we go. Tell us about those last All right. four messages. And I'm going to use my hands, so oh. you just hold the phone there for okay. me. Okay. The last four messages came at 12.38 p.m. Battery is good, just terminals needed fixed. Cheap fix. Very thankful. And thanks for your help. It was fun. <laughs> That's the story. Thank you, brother. Is a picture not worth a thousand words? Huh? Four and a half hours. Battery is fixed. Cheap fix. Thanks for the help. It was what? Do you hear this? In that? That's what I hear in that. Time. Influence. Working together, solving a problem together, bonds us together, right? Thank you, Larry. Wow. We could just dismiss, couldn't we? Huh? That is good. Uh, precious, precious memory for both of you, right? I think so. Hey, yes. So, let's see if we can carry our thoughts a bit for, oh, I know what I was going to do. Uh, Larry was a good example of that, uh, sharing a story. Also, let me note how he demonstrated being a grandparent by choice. Did you hear that in his story? That there are nieces and nephews and people all around you. If you don't have biological grandchildren, guess what? They can be a grandchild by choice. You can be a, a poppy by choice. And that's good. That's very good. But I was going to pause a moment, not be such a big hurry this week, and give a few others an opportunity to share. Has anybody else had kind of a special moment with your grandchildren over the last week or two? Of course, we could, might be here a while on that. huh? Anybody got something you want to share? Yes, ma'am. Okay, eight-year-old great-grandchild. School snacks.
and for her. Did y'all, I hope you were able to hear all that. An eight-year-old great-grandchild, and you're giving a school snack on a daily basis that has a scripture, has maybe some word of encouragement and affirmation. I don't know about that math problem, you know, put a math problem in there. Uh, but wouldn't it be good if uh, our grandkids could grow up and add and subtract in their heads? You know, wouldn't that be cool? And, uh, and then a question, like something to reflect on and to think about. That, and you respond back to me, so you get this interaction going. And did you hear that's been so much fun for us? And I suspect it has been for her. Wow, what a teachable moment. What a great example. Uh, is your great-grandchild local? Okay. And I'm going to show you guys. I don't know if we'll get there today. We might. I'm going to show you how to do that long distance in a little bit. Okay, that is great. How about back here? Yes. That's Okay. Sure. Yeah, that fits with the grandparents by choice. Uh, but I, uh, I appreciate the, the story. Did you notice how she remembered? She remembered back when. And uh, so you as parents, you know, sometimes have to help facilitate that relationship with grandchildren. But yes, they remember those moments and those stories. Anybody else? Okay, all right, good. Hey, uh, maybe share with us from week to week some things you're doing with your grandchildren. How do grandparents influence? Uh, I've got to edit my title here. I said grandparents as teachers. And uh, we've been following a theme of grandparents being special, haven't we? So I've got to go back and edit this. It should read, grandparents are special teachers. Yes, it should read, I correct it. And we've been using Deuteronomy 4, 9 especially. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. What your eyes have seen, your eyes have seen the workings of God. Your eyes have seen the power of God. Your eyes have seen the healing 
of God. Your eyes have seen the provision of God. Teach it to your children and to your children's children. The faith that has been within you. Uh, Another scripture we've been using, Proverbs. My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light. And the corrections of discipline are the way of life. Oh, a command here, an instruction here to follow your father's commands and your mother's teaching. And I would add to that in light of our Deuteronomy scripture, the teachings of your grandfather and your grandmother. Uh, Take them wherever you go, like around your neck. They will give direction to your life. They will give guidance to your life. When you sleep, you can sleep in peace because of you're led by their instruction. They watch over you. When you're awake, they will speak to you. They will direct your paths. Let's add a few verses to that. Grandparents as teachers, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's let me put it this way, let's, let's think and begin with the end in mind. If you're going to be a teacher in the life of your grandchildren, begin with the end in mind. What is the end? That my teaching might finish its work, that perseverance might finish its work, that they might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Another way to... Uh, Oh, I didn't have the scripture there. Another way to say that would be uh, in Romans here. But we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that our suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And you're seeking to form in the life of your grandchildren, character. And I want to pause here and talk just a little bit about character. And your role as grandparents, as teachers, and in the formation of character in the lives of your grandchildren. Could I introduce that with maybe a few stories, a few examples? You may have heard this before. It's called the bridge builder. An old man going a lone highway came at the evening cold and gray to a chasm vast and deep and wide through which was flowing a sullen tide. The old man crossed in the twilight dim, that sullen stream had no fears for him. But he turned when he reached the other side and built a bridge to span the tide. Old man, said a fellow pilgrim near, you are wasting strength in building here. Your journey will end with the ending day. You never again must pass this way. You have crossed the chasm deep and wide. Why build you the bridge at the eventide? The builder lifted his gray old head. Good friend, in the path I have come, he said. There followeth after me today a youth whose feet must pass this way. This chasm that has been naught to me. To that fair-haired youth may a pitfall be. He too must cross in the twilight dim, good friend.
Good friend, I'm building the bridge for him. Oh, you grandparents or special teachers in the lives of your grandchildren, your bridge builders in the lives of your grandchildren, you build that bridge for him. How about one more? <laughs> Paul Harvey, you know he would have something to say about being a grandparent, right? Huh? Have I read this already? No. I remember where I read it. I'm like, I read this somewhere recently. (laughs) Okay, here we go. You ready? You remember Paul Harvey? Yeah, you do. I know. All right, here we go. He's writing. Uh, We tried so hard to make things better for our kids that we made them worse. For my grandchildren, I'd like better. I'd really like for them to know about hand-me-down clothes and homemade ice cream and leftover meatloaf sandwiches. I really would. I hope you learn humility by being humiliated and that you learn honesty by being cheated. I hope you learn to make your own bed and mow the lawn and wash the car. And I really hope nobody gives you a brand new car when you are 16. It would be good if at least one time you can see puppies born and your old dog put to sleep. I hope you get a black eye fighting for something you believe in. I hope you have to share a bedroom with your younger brother and sister. And it, it's all right if, if you have to draw a line down the middle of the room, but when he wants to crawl under the covers with you because he's scared, I hope you'll let him. When you want to see a movie and your little brother or sister wants to tag along, I hope you'll let him or her. I hope you have to walk uphill to school with your friends and that you live in a town where you can do it safely. On rainy days when you have to catch a ride, I hope you don't ask your driver to drop you two blocks away so you won't be seen riding with someone as uncool as your mom. (laughs) Here's my favorite. If you want a slingshot, I hope your dad teaches you how to make one instead of buying one. I hope you learn to dig in the dirt and read books. When you learn to use computers, I hope you also learn to add and subtract in your head. I hope you get teased by your friends when you have your first crush on a boy or girl. And when you talk back to your mother that you learn what ivory soap tastes like. May you skin your knee climbing a mountain, burn your hand on a stove, and stick your tongue on a frozen flagpole. (laughs) If you try beer once, I hope you don't like it. And if a friend offers you dope or joint, I hope you realize he is not your friend. I sure hope you make time to sit on a porch with your grandma and grandpa and go fishing with your uncle. May you feel sorrow at a funeral and joy during the holidays. I hope your mother punishes you when you throw a baseball through your neighbor's window and that she hugs you and kisses you at Christmas time when you give her a plaster mold of your hand. These things I wish for you, tough times and disappointment, hard work and happiness. To me, it's the only way to appreciate life. Written with a pen, sealed with a kiss, I'm here for you. Yeah.
Paul Harvey to his grandchildren. How about that? How about that? We are teachers. We mold their character. I'd like to take a few moments to talk about character uh, with you. That should read grandparents as special teachers in the lives of their grandchildren. What is this thing that we call character? Character is not what a man professes to be. You can't claim it. You can't just claim it as your own. You can't just profess it. It's not what you, what you profess to be. Character is not reputation. It's not what other people think you are. That's not character. Character is not a well-known event in one's life. It's not a, a moment in time. It's not even a special achievement that you may have had. It's Character is not that. Character is not being a well-gifted person. It's not just being talented. Uh, Character is not keeping company with the right people. That might be important, but it doesn't. You can't get it just by association. You can't claim it only by association, uh, even though that might be important. A character is not having thoughts of goodness. In other words, character is not good intentions. You might intend well, but that's not character. So what is character that we're trying to shape in the lives of our grandchildren that we're trying to teach? I like, uh, there's a book that, uh, um, called The Death of Character, Well, I'll just hold that thought a moment. Let's first look at Josephson Institute. Character is that quality that reflects core beliefs and values which motivate our behavior, choices, or attitudes, distinguishing between right and wrong. There's a book that's called uh, The Death of Character, and wow, does it not seem prophetic now. Um, Here's the definition. When we... Think about the kind of character we want for our children or grandchildren. It's clear that we want them to be able to judge what is right, care deeply about what is right, and then do what they believe to be right, even in the face of pressure from without and temptation from within. Look at that last sentence. Character, that they will believe what is right and do what is right, even as they face pressure from without and temptation from within. Uh, The book I've referred to several times is actually by uh, James Hunter called The Death of Character. And it was written in 2001, and boy, nowadays it seems prophetic. When you look at what happens on a daily basis on a national scale and the kind of discourse that takes place on a national scale, I think we could say we've witnessed the death of character. And uh, so James Hunter uh, defines character in three ways, and I like the definition. It's what we're trying to shape and instill as we would teach God's truth and faithfulness into the hearts and minds of our grandchildren. Look at this. The most basic element of character is moral discipline. Its most essential feature is the inner capacity for restraint, an ability to inhibit oneself and one's passions, desires, and habits 
within the boundaries of a moral code. I know that's a textbook definition, but it's a good definition. The most basic element of character is moral discipline, the ability to restrain one's, the inner capacity to restrain one's passions and desires. What? Within the boundaries of a moral code. What all scripture is given for what? Instruction. That we might be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We teach into the hearts and minds of our children a moral code. All scripture is given for our instruction. Watch this. Let's take that a little further. Wow. Okay. Let's take that a little further. It is the inner capacity to say what? No. That's character, is when you have it within you to say no to your own passions and desires. He goes on to define character, moral attachment. Character is the affirmation of our commitments to a larger community, the embrace of an ideal that attracts us, draws us, animates us, inspires us. I don't like that definition of moral attachment so much. I like the idea of moral attachment. You say no to something, that's moral discipline. You say yes to something, that's attachment. And that's where God comes in. You say yes to God's instruction. It'd be like uh, uh, the parable of, uh, I hadn't thought about this before, the parable of, of, of sweep, sweeping your house and cleaning your house and leaving it empty. And then the, the final state, the the the. The demons return and the final state of that man is worse than in the beginning. We sweep the house clean. We say no to certain things, but we don't replace it with something. We don't embrace it with something. And the final state of that man is worse than in the beginning, right? Well, moral attachment means, yes, I show moral restraint. I say no to something, but I say yes to something. I embrace a moral code. That gives direction to my life. I make a commitment to a moral code. And that's the God's word. And that's where we're going with this. It's a moral attachment. And then character means moral, <clears throat> moral autonomy. Character implies the moral autonomy of the individual in his or her capacity to freely make ethical decisions. The reason, very simply, is that controlled behavior cannot be moral behavior for it removes the element of discretion and judgment. So character is demonstrated in our moral autonomy. You could go out to the local prison and there are some people there that are well behaved. It is not the equal to character because they do not have moral autonomy. Our children and our grandchildren have moral autonomy. Ultimately, they make the choice whether to say no to these things and embrace God's Word and God's teaching. It's their autonomy. It's part of character and what we're trying to shape within our children. And so what we will do next week
we will begin to look at what do you teach in terms of shaping the heart and mind and faith of your children, in terms of instilling within them a character and God's word as a compass for life and some ways to do that. And if you'll come back next week, I want to share a little book with you that will help you do that. It's called, this will give you a hint, Grandpa Says. And I knew a man who really had a neat, neat idea as to how to touch the heart and mind, how to share his faith in the life of his grandchildren. You come back next week, we're going to talk about Grandpa Says. See you next week. Thank you.